What's up, everybody, and welcome to Lights, Camera, Exploitation, your guide to exploitive cinema. This is your host with the motherfucking most, TJ Bowser, and joining me is my doppelganger, Kanga Banger from Down Under, Mr. Brody Kane. G'day there, my mateys. And Mr. Slick Nick with the big woo, Reese. Top of the morning to you, laddies. We got a doozy of an episode for you today, but you know what time it is. It's time for your slice of life. Brody, how was your week? Yeah, same old, same old, as I say every week. Just shit ton of work happening. Um, had a very interesting morning this morning, but I won't go into too much detail. Uh, someone decided to actually break into our shed this morning. So I chased yeah. them off with a baseball bat. What what I would have give to have actually got hold of that mother liquor. So in saying that, yeah, my morning was very interesting. Then TJ brightened it up by sending me a uh, post from Second Sight Films. I have just pre-ordered Lake Mungo, the limited edition <laughs> film. And it is region free, and I'm very excited. It's a nice little Australian cult classic horror film. Uh, very, very supernatural like and very scary with a bit of a modern day twist on it. So, Nick, I do believe you have seen that. Uh, I, I have seen that movie. It's very, very good. It's uh, an TJ episode that this link season. in our group, and I was like, oh, I'm going to pick up one of those two. <laughs> so, absolutely. But yeah, other than that, mate, yeah, nothing too much down this way. It's, it's a bit quiet. How about yourself there, Mr. Bowser? Well, as I say, every week, podcasts here, podcasts there, podcasts everywhere. So, it's crazy. That we're doing the movie. Actually, I'll, I'll talk about it whenever the, the show's going. But uh, something uh, was announced today that coincides with today's episode perfectly. And it's just, it's it's fucking rad that we're able to talk about it uh, like this. But anyway, uh, yeah, lots of podcasts. We have Fatality debuting tomorrow on the Project Louder Network. I have Gore More on Monday. We're doing Lucio Fulci Zombie. Fuck yeah. Uh, got some new gear here. Got some lights and stuff. Uh, the boys can... See the awesome results of the lights on the video chat right now, but uh, you guys will see it on the streams and stuff. Just kind of got some camera gear going on with the Sony ZV-1. Uh, new firmware update is making things a little different with the menu, so it's got me trying to relearn the camera I just learned. So fun times, fun times over here. Uh, but awesome, awesome uh, announcements today. Uh, the Vinegar Syndrome announced their list of films they announced uh six string samurai which is their 4k release and then surf 2 which is a blu-ray release uh haven't heard of any of those films before gonna have to check them out i i trust vinegar syndrome and i blind buy all the time so why the fuck not absolutely <laughs> Nick, what'd you do? Uh, sleep and work and work and sleep and then record Beetle Bros. Uh, and then today. Uh, <laughs> it's It's been an erratic week with me running around for work the entire time. Uh, I feel like our internet company uh, has rescheduled the install for our office probably three freaking times this week already. And every time they do it, I have to reschedule with our own IT company as well. Um, so I've been on my feet pretty much all week uh, and then just trying to sleep when I can. I was actually taking a nap right before we got up to start recording Aww, this. Oh, sleepy yeah, no, I'm, a I'm a sleepy boy. Uh, <laughs> but not bad. I mean, I'll take as much as I can get. So. <laughs> Fair enough. Mm. Okay, so you guys ready to get on with this week's episode? Just dive oh, yes. on in. Okay, so we have 1970s The Bird with the Crystal Plumage, which is the first film from director Dario Argento. Footsteps on the stairs, a shadow under the door, a reflection from a knife, and all the screaming in the world won't help. In the Hitchcock tradition, the bird with the crystal plumage. 
If you think you are being followed home from this movie, keep telling yourself it's all in your mind. From UMC who would later to go on to do Deep Red in 1975, Suspiria in 1977, Tenebre in 1982, and Opera in 1987. He also wrote this film and other films that he wrote but did not direct himself, which would be Demons 2 in 1986, The Church in 1989, The Sect in 1991, and The Wax Mask in 1997, which is a collaboration with Lucio Fulci. We'll talk about that later. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> I bet we will. <laughs> Cinematographer Vittorio Sotaro, who also did The Fifth Court in 1971, Apocalypse Now in 1979, Dick Tracy in 1990, and The Exorcist movies, uh, that Dominion in 2005 and the other one he also shot. Brody, what's the other one called? Oh, shit, mate. You put me on the spot. <laughs> Fucking right I did. <laughs> ah, honestly, uh, I have no idea. Uh, shit. But, he, but he was responsible for shooting those films. Uh I thought I would remember, but fuck, yeah. I'm uh, in too deep with the dabs. Anyway, music. Anino Morricone, who also did The Cat of Nine Tales in 1971, My Dear Killer in 1972, The Untouchables in 1987, and Quentin Tarantino's The Hateful Eight in 2015. And you want to talk about a budget? Mr. Dario Argento had $500,000 for his first movie, United States equivalent in 1969 he probably is when he was shooting this movie so that's that's quite a lot of moolah for your first movie and that's because his father salvatore argento was the producer uh later to be joined by his brother claudio in later films as a producer as well uh brody and i found that out through some little research here and i wondered who that guy was and why i kept seeing that name in a lot of his films and then uh yeah he's all the pictures i see him with he's always like with other people yeah it's it's definitely not a bad budget just ran it in here really quick uh looks like the equivalent today's money he had about 3.5 mil to work with Woo! yeah it's not bad <laughs> and uh definitely translated to on screen uh it is a beautiful film uh this <laughs> is my pick this week I'm excited to talk about it. Continuing on starring Tony, how are we, how are we pronouncing his last name? Musante? Musante as Sam Dalmas. We might know him from The Detective in 1968, The Deep End of the Ocean in 1999, and We Own the Night in 2007. Susie Kendall as Julia from The Penthouse in 1967, Torso from Sergio Martino in 1973, and Spasmo from 1974. Enrico Maria Salnerno as Inspector Morsini. You might know him from Smog in 1962, Seasons of Our Love in 1966, and The Left Hand of the Law in 1975. The lovely Eva Renzi as Monica Ranieri. She was also in Funeral in Berlin in 1966, Death Occurred Last Night in 1970, and The Prodigal Daughter in 1981. Umberto Rajo as um, Alberto Ranieri. He starred in Queen of the Nile in 1961, The Last Man on Earth in 1964 alongside Vincent Price, and Double Team in 1997 alongside Dennis Rodman. I wasn't even trying to do anything. I was just trying to just play basketball, party, da 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 da, fuck all the girls. And so that time, it just happened to just be me, dead as shit, you know? <laughs> I'm sorry. I love that visual. <laughs> yes. Renato, Renata Romano as Professor Carlo Dover, also seen in The Italian Job in 1969, The Fifth Court in 1971, Seven Bloodstained Orchids in 1972, Giuseppe Castellano as Monty, who starred in Barbarella in 1968, The Italian Connection in 1972, and Screamers in 1979. And lastly, Mario Adorf as Berto Consalvi, who starred in The Devil Strikes at Night in 19. 
1957, Short Nights of Glass Dolls in 1971, and Devil's Paradise in 1987. Brody, read that plot. Sam Dalmas, an American writer living in Rome, inadvertently witnesses a brutal attack on a woman in a modern art gallery. Powerless to help, he grows increasingly obsessed with the incident. Convinced that something he saw that night holds the key to identifying the maniac terrorizing Rome, he launches his own investigation parallel to that of the police, heedless of the danger to both himself and his girlfriend, Julia. Fucking A. So this film won a couple awards, as Beetlejuice would say. I uh, cleaned house <laughs> in the 70s uh, for the Golden Globes in Italy, winning Best Feature Film, Dario Gento accepting that. And of course, he also won Best New Director. He was nominated for the Edgar Allan Poe Awards in 1971 for Best Motion Picture. So, as our favorite time, let's get physical. That a definitive release for this film, I would say, but announced today, was a new 4K release of The Bird with the Crystal Plumage from Arrow Video that will be coming in June. Uh, June 29th. June is what I found. 29th. And it has all new art. It's getting that, that full 4K treatment. I'm excited for it. But uh, we're going to talk about the current release that's available to us, which was released on June 20th, 2017. And it features a brand new 4K restoration of the film from the original camera negative produced by Arrow Video exclusively exclusively for this release. A high definition Blu-ray 1080p presentation, original looseless mono Italian and English soundtracks, English subtitles for the Italian soundtrack, new audio commentary by Troy Howarth, author of So Deadly, So Perverse, 50 Years of Italian Giallo Films, ooh, The Power of Perception, a new visual essay on the cinema of Dario Argento by Alexander Hella Alexandra? Yeah, Heller Nicholas, author of Devil's Advocates, Suspiria, and Rape Revenge Films, a critical study. Interesting. New analysis of the film by critic Kat Ellinger. New interview with writer-director Dario Argento. New interview with actor Gildo DeMarco. Gorilla the Pimp. Uh, <laughs> Eva's Talking, an archival interview with actor Eva Renzi, Monica Ranieri. Original Italian and international theatrical trailers, Reversible Sleeve, featuring originally and newly commissioned artwork by Candace Tripp. This uh, release, specific release, is Region A locked. I believe that the boys uh, overseas got a different release. Brody, the one that you'll be getting in the mail might be slightly different. I'm not sure. And that is okay with me, Mr. Bowser, and I do appreciate you sending that through. Absolutely, brother. Got to build that collection, girth it up. I actually filled up one of my cabinets this week. I'm extremely happy about it. And I must say, it looks glorious. Oh, it's beautiful. Thank you. (laughs) I try to, I want to get, I want to get dividers with the logos of the uh, different companies. To separate them out. Oh, that'd be sick. Yeah. Oh, that'd be nice. There's just something satisfying about opening up and just sitting down, just looking through them all. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Fucking A. Okay. So, boys, Brody, take it away. The Bird with the Crystal Plumage is loosely based on the 1949 American novel The Screaming Mimi by Frederick Brown, which was first adapted to a film by the same name in 1958, directed by Gerald Oswald or Ger- it's like Gerd. I think it's Gerd. 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 For those of you at home. <laughs> yes. Who also directed episodes of Bonanza, Star Trek, and the 1985 revival series of The Twilight Zone. When reflecting on the creation and development of early Giallo films, Argento has stated simply that his initial drive to the creation of the genre was that he liked to change things. In speaking regarding 
his casting choices, Dario has said that he prefers to work with smaller actors with little to no experience because he believes that they show more enthusiasm for their roles and that more experienced actors would challenge him more often on decisions. He has also stated that he only chooses the actors for his movies after he has finished writing the scripts, with location scouting being an integral part of the overall writing process. The Bird with the Crystal Plumage would become the first in a trilogy of films known as the Animal Trilogy, which include the subsequent films The Cat 09 Tales and Four Flies on Grey Velvet in 1971 and 1972, respectively. Oh, yeah. Dario and actor Enrico Maria Salerino Salerino had both previously worked with director Sergio Leone previously on his Spaghetti Western films, with Dario helping to write Once Upon a Time in the West in 1968, and Enrico voicing Clint Eastwood's characters for all the Dollars trilogy films, A Fistful of Dollars, A Few Dollars More, and The Good and the Bad and the Ugly. During this time, working with Leone on his westerns, Dario was taught about the importance of cinematography as well as the camera itself in the process of making a good film, as he was originally a writer and journalist before moving to working in the film industry. Dario Argento has expressed frustration in the general public's relative lack of respect for the horror genre and specifically Alfred Hitchcock's films at the time, Mm -hmm. stating that he felt bad for the directors and actors that worked on these projects when critics would refer to Hitchcock's films as commercial, in due part to his general lack of respect towards the jello genre before his own films. Dario was not allowed to read books in the genre by his conservative grandmother and would have to sneak into the attic at night to do so. (laughs) You know, that only drove his like fuel to write even more. Oh, yeah. Uh, No, when I read that, I was like, oh, no wonder he started making them as soon as he started directing his own films. (laughs) From being a writer on the Spaghetti Western Once Upon a Time in the West, Argento started to write a script of his own stating, I got the idea that I could do it better myself. At the time, I knew cinema in only theory because I had been a critic. However, I felt I could do a better job, so I asked to be able to do this, and it was very difficult. My father, Salvatore Argento, helped me a lot and together we spent more than a year and a half trying to find the balance for my film. A balance you found, Mr. Argento. Ah, oh, fucking absolutely. A. <laughs> In a 2017 film review article with Frame Rated, journalist Frank Collins states that the film budgeted as we discussed, the $500,000, was it US? Mm-hmm. And it was shot on location in Rome at the Insia di Pialos Pialis Studios between August and October in 1969. Argento cast American actor Tony Masante in the lead, having seen him in the incident for in 1967. And after recommending him to Giuseppe Petroni Griffey for Love Circle while writing its screenplay, he probably wished he had not as the friendship that had developed during their experience on Griffey's film soon deteriorated. There were constant arguments, interference and calls in the middle of the night from Masante demanding motivation for his character. Sadly, 
It was a clash of egos that tainted Argento's relationships with actors from then on. The striking thing at the time was Argento's fresh, fresh approach to the subgenre. It's a modern and very stylish thrill, thriller reflecting the social and political the social and pol- political changes affecting Italy at the end of the 60s. This was a period of student protests, strikes, terrorism and countercultural political movements. Post-war conformity was coming under huge stresses and tensions and people no longer felt secure and assured. Interestingly, in the film, Sam traces the painter of the strange work of art that triggered the killer to emulate its trench-coated assailant to a rural farmhouse. The artist has retreated here to make work that only involves mystical scenes. It suggests that the repressed power in the painting is something primal connected to a landscape and its remote village in counterpoint to the materialist urban sprawl of Rome, where the rest of the film takes place. It is a primal carnality that's underlined by the black humor expressed by Argento when Sam is shocked by the artist's recommendation that fattened up cats make for good eating. In an interview with actor Ava Renzi, Ava states, that when I look at the picture, I say there's two things. There's the picture itself and the format of thriller. It's not my favorite format, format, but as a killer, I like to have more space and evolve as to why is this woman a psychopath. I couldn't tell you how I got that inner drive to play such an ill woman, especially as Argento <laughs> didn't guide me there either. I mean, using a woman's cliche to justify the man's fears, if you want me to interpret that as a feminist. But what can I say? I'm very grateful for Dario Argento's development and that he has made a good career for himself. I have no bad memories of him, and he was a friendly man that was sensitive and overall very kind. When the film was finally finished, Dario has stated that I talked to my colleagues saying that this has been a huge hit, so I must make more Giallo films. And everybody told me, yes, you'd be crazy to stop making them. So I made other (laughs) films trying to explore my nightmares in the same Giallo style. And he would again and 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 again. And he would make them so well again and again and again and again. (laughs) Okay, so I'm going to go on record and say that Stendhal Syndrome is probably his last great film. Anyway, anyway. Anyway, anyway, it's time to let's talk about it. Okay, guys, favorite performance of the film. Hmm. Think if I if I if you had to uh, squeeze squeeze my arm for it, <laughs> I would say that mine's probably honestly going to be Ranieri, um, Monica's husband, uh, just because I think he did a really good job of sort of playing that line of of the suspicion. Uh, and whenever we find out later, uh, he was mostly innocent uh, near the end of the film, uh, not entirely. Uh, because he did kind of get pulled into Monica's weird psychopathic little uh, trip she was going on there, got him kind of way a little bit too wrapped up in it. Uh, I just really liked his overall performance and just that he was able to seem innocent enough, yet suspicious enough that you would just accept it when he falsely confesses shortly before he dies. Yes. Uh, only to get absolved later. And it's like, wow, no, he really played it off like he was pretty, pretty guilty. <laughs> so, yeah, I don't know. I just overall, I really liked his it was very complex and it kept you guessing, but Dario is just really good at keeping you guessing the entire thing, even up until after you've already decided you know what the conclusion is. Fucking A, Brody? I'd have to go with uh, Eva Renzi as Monica. Okay. I don't know. There's just something about when when we get that twist reveal at the end and she just pulls on this batshit crazy performance. I thought it was really, really interesting. Um, you know, yeah, her, perf- her performance in this really um, surprised me and 
and it's really hard to believe that like she's the kid like even though we're led to believe that she is uh this victim the whole time Mm -hmm. she's just playing with these two personalities and i think it's a challenging thing to achieve for an actor to to not only pull it off and succeed but to make the audience believe that we really feel for her and that's what gives us the final uh, when we uh, the final twist is revealed it just gives us that gut punch and it does the film justice so i really think she uh coming out and shined in this film i'm gonna go with uh tony masante i feel like he is a damn good lead and i think he drives this uh drives the story along i know this is one of the slower burning uh, argento films uh I think it works well for the tone of this film. This film is uh, super stylish. It's not Suspiria level stylish. I don't think any film ever will be again. Uh, you can't change my mind on that. It, it'll be hard to to top that yeah. or even get close to it. <laughs> uh, but like, man, I love I love that character of Sam. I think it's we, we explore a lot of him during this this film, and I think that it's uh, yeah that that's that's the one I'm gonna I'm, I'm gonna pick for this for this one is Tony. Masante as Sam Dalmas. Lovely. Runner-up would, of course, would be Reva Renzi because she's absolutely batshit crazy. And uh, whenever she pins Tony at the end under that giant-ass fucking statue, it's art, bitch. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's like... <laughs> <laughs> like, she plays with them. And it's because, like, by that time, she's full-on cracked. Like, she's isolated and stuff. Like, she's still killing people. Like, she's, like, another person. Like, her brain, like, is all fucked up and... She yeah. just stabbed his buddy in the back of the head and left yeah. him in the uh, the room with yeah. uh, Julia right before this scene. So, yeah, I mean, she was my runner up as well. It definitely it drives home her her husband. that performance drives home the whole crazy thing. It's it's cool. It's cool. Mm. OK, so favorite set piece. You know, with the Argento films, this is going to be hard, especially when we talk about it, because his f- set pieces are so theatrical and, and massive. And he, he really, I mean, like Brody said, a lot of his writing focuses around these set pieces and the settings of his films. I mean, even uh, give you guys a little peek behind the scenes here, the stuff that Brody and I are currently working on, it's, our stuff is extremely driven by uh, setting and stuff as well. It's It's quite the it's 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 different when you approach a story from that you know what i'm talking about whenever you're within the confines of this so uh for example how much he's able to do on screen with some of these uh the art gallery at the beginning is a good example of this there's so much going on there's there's violence amongst so much beauty and he pulls that off so fucking well not only in this film but every other film that he fucking makes man mm-hmm. so, so this oh, film for sure yeah this film's gonna be hard brody do you have a favorite set piece before i give you mine actually yeah it, it is the art gallery actually i i just okay. love the fact that um well like you said actually like I, I i love how argento throughout each scene of his films it's 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 like his mission to make a beautifully shot film mm-hmm. and that's why the art gallery, when it sort of comes full circle, like we have it at the start and then it comes into play uh, at the end, that's the bit that made me go, that is fucking clever writing. Not only that, visually, it's beautiful, you know. Um, yeah, I, I just think I just think it feels like a clever way to sort of rub the twist in our face, you know, just goes completely full circle. And, um, yeah. He literally that forces you to change your perception of everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. It just, it, it knocked me for six because the whole movie, I was guessing and guessing who the killer was. And then mm-hmm. when we finally got our twist, I was like, how did I not see that coming? 
you know? So, but yeah, I love how he plays with that. You start off at the gallery and then you end with the gallery. So to me, that would be it. Fucking A. Nick? Uh, so Brody and I had the same pick uh, because <laughs> mine was also a B gallery as well. Um, I really I really do think uh, that Dario almost treats every single setting and location that he's filming in as its own character half the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just as important as any of the acting, uh, as you know, as we said earlier. Um, it's an integral part of his own writing process. It's just where he's setting his films in. And just one of my favorite things is, is uh, like how Brody said that you know how did how do we miss that it was going to be Monica? My favorite thing with that is it, it never gave you too much. But he has so many flashbacks to that gallery and every single time you get just enough, like just a little bit more information, there is something wrong with that scene. And so it makes you almost have to question your memory of the scene whenever you first watch the opening of the movie as much as he's replaying it over in his head. And so I think it just kind of draws you to a connection uh, with Sam just through thinking about that location and everything that happened in there at the start of the movie over and over as the whole movie goes until at the end, you can almost have this realization at the same time as he did that the knife was pointed the other way around. You know, I mentioned the art gallery and stuff as an example and stuff, but I really like their homes. I, I like the interiors of their homes, especially the what is it? The Ranieri residence. I think mm-hmm. it's just so big and so vast. I mean, they got the fucking Siberian bird chilling there. Uh, so like, I just feel like those those feel like the inside of the of the of Italy's houses at this time period are just so beautiful, mm-hmm. and just the color palettes of the interiors are just so so cool and stuff. And I mean, there's a lot of brown in this film, and I, and I fucking hate that. Uh, but I think he balances it out well with some really cool shot composition, like Brody said. And I think that really comes from Argento's love for Alfred Hitchcock and his films. And I think mm-hmm. that, yeah. But yeah, I'll, I'll go with that. The interiors of, the, of some of these houses, especially the Ranieri residence. I yeah, know, I completely get that. Favorite scene slash shot. Uh, for me, it would be personally uh, all of the uh, apartment interior shots leading up to the death of um, that woman. Near the near the beginning, I didn't quite catch her name, and I've just looked it up, and it just says second girl victim. So yep. Um, so yeah, the music and camera play, you know, it just builds that just builds that tension, and it's it's delivered very nicely. You know, uh, we go from the point of view shot, how she's looking down, looks up, looks down, up, then the killer is revealed. There, um, I think that to me, it actually there was something about that music as well that went really hand to hand with the um with the scare factor. Like it actually really freaked me out. But I think also just to have this figure standing there in a coat with a hat, mysterious like haunting as fuck, dude. It fucking really is. And like I said, Argento has that scene lit extremely well uh, with just dark shadow play, even a few slightly, slightly few neon lights. I reckon he was just sort of at his, like just sort of beginning to tamper with that sort of style of um, giallo. Um, but yeah, I, yeah, I just, it, it's, yeah, as I said, it's, it's done very nicely. Uh, it doesn't go too overboard and yeah, just with presenting the killer to you. So I think, yeah, he pulls it off very nicely indeed. Think if, uh, <clears throat> think if I had to pick one. Um, it would probably be uh, Sam chasing down uh, their their would be assassin uh, in the yellow jacket, who I believe was hired by Ranieri to kill them to stop the investigation to cover up his wife's crimes. Um, but I just I really enjoyed the just the tension and the music and the shot composition and everything for that whole scene of Sam chasing him back down, uh, tracking him back through all the crowds and everything, and trying to keep them 
both in public spaces so he can't be attacked again while just trying to, you know, get a hold of this guy and figure out who he is. And he's, you know, wearing that bright yellow jacket and ends up walking into the convention, like in the hotel with just all these other people with all the the yellow uh, like club jackets on yes. and just trying to locate that was uh, all of that. Those were Italian prize fighters. That was what the okay. Um, but yeah, no, it, it it almost felt it felt so much more modern than a scene from a movie from 1970. Uh, like it felt like it would be a scene in a Tarantino movie. That's Argento, baby. Years after, right? Uh, it just it just felt so good and so stylish and it was so tense the entire time. And is is he going to catch him? Who the hell is this guy? Why is he trying to kill them? Is he the killer or is he hired by him? Uh, you know, obviously there's an accomplice because the guy had dropped him off and then drove away. It just it spin in so many questions while you're just he's trying to hunt him down. I, just, I really love the scene. It felt way more modern than it was. Yeah, I also love that scene. But I also love that one scene of the painting and then we zoom out and we see the killer staring at it, like prepping. Mm. I think that is just such a fucking wicked shot and it's so fucking freaky. Uh, I also love, love the inside uh, scene wherever you think that he's going to kill the painter and he's actually walking up into her house and he traps her inside the house. That I think that is so fucking tense and of him like, well, her banging the fucking knife into the wall into the door slowly and mm. banging a hole so she can look in and shit it, it's i think that is just so effective and so well done and even like her like hanging not hanging but like huddling in the corner of the bathroom and like in fear is just so cool it just it's it's so well done and it just fits i actually legitimately just kind of got goosebumps thinking of that scene of her eye peeking through after slamming right? the knife <laughs> i actually did like <laughs> it's so good uh, favorite effect slash death. Um, I'm gonna have to go with uh, Gorillo. Um, right, right near the end, just before the reveal of our killer. Um, you know, even though we don't see his death, you just um, they definitely redeem themselves. By the way, isn't Gorillo the the pimp? Gorilla's the pimp that's in prison. Uh, really? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he was the one that they called, they kept calling him so long. Yeah. Like it was his nickname because he just kept saying so long, so long, so long and, and talking. Um, Carlo. Carlo. It's Carlo. Yeah. It's Professor Carlo Dover that gets killed. Yes. Yeah. That, that's right. Ter- even Taryn said that. She's like, she kept calling him Carl. I was like, I think. <laughs> okay. Yeah. yeah I, I knew it started with a C, but I couldn't remember if it was Consalvi, if it was Berto or if it was Carlo. Okay. Yeah. It's the guy that's <laughs> so, in like every other Jallo film. Well, anyway, Carlo, mate. Yeah, it, it, yeah just, <laughs> same plays out. Yeah, so uh, yeah, I, th- I think it just delivers another nice little twist that's trying to throw you off at the story. And uh, uh, yeah, it's, it's it's as I said before, uh, it's extremely well lit. You know, it's it's that dark shadow play, and, and just the look on him staring at our um, at our lead, and then he just falls on top of him to reveal the dagger in the back. I think it's we, done so. Mm-hmm. We do have to talk about Garulo though, because he is such a good comedic uh, element. Like, especially such a tense scene after girl gets razored to death, and then they cut to him being fucking wacky again and straight up Mister Beaning it before Mister Bean was a thing, and it's fucking rad. <laughs> there's a, there's always a little bit of yeah. some dark comedy to to Argento's stuff. It's just that little sprinkle. It's like salt. It's like yeah. the salt on top of it. It's it's just really And nice. it's editing and performance. It's all you need. It's it's, it's fucking awesome. Not over the top. So, mm-hmm. ah, favorite death. Nick? Uh, so I guess for for effect, I was also going to go for the lighting effects from that from that same scene from him 
pulling the windows, uh, the curtains up and all just revealing the painting itself with the light stopping just above the actual scene of the murder playing out. That was fantastic. I love every single thing Dario does with light. Um, as for death, uh, I was going to kind of go with the surprising one of their bodyguard just getting run down in the street behind them while they're walking. Because uh, you get the surprise at first when you notice that he's there. Yeah. And then Julia points it out and he's like, no, 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 that's the cop. That's our bodyguard. We're perfectly safe. And then you get flattened <laughs> like a possum in the street <laughs> like yeah. behind them and then they get chased down by a gunman with the jacket i just i love that it came out of nowhere um may not have been as much of a twist as carlos because i really did like that as well mm-hmm. um but it was between that and the girl getting razored to death because that was just intense and that was just striking and even though there's not a lot of gore or anything to it you get some flashes of blood it's dario so he knows how to play with it and still make you kind of curl back even if you're not seeing as much as you would think I think um, the off-screen stuff in this film is, is so effective compared to the on-screen stuff. I mean, later films, Argento goes full-on fucking pedal to the metal. I mean, opera. Suspiria, for it, sure. Suspiria, opera. Role, yeah. yeah. All of his films from this point really get ramped up, especially in the 80s and 90s. So for me, yeah. uh, ooh, this is this is <laughs> a good one. Mm. Favorite death. Okay, so the second victim, where you totally think he's going to stab upwards into the girl, uh, where she's kind of laying there and the door opens and he's revealed there. That's that's pretty fucking rad. I think that that death is super effective, and we will see that stuff type of replicated in other films. And not really effect there, it kind of cuts away. Um, I believe uh, one of the things that I read from some of the interviews afterwards was that was actually the hardest shot for him to get to keep into the movie because censorship boards kept wanting to remove it because mm-hmm. they kept referring it to referring to that scene as the panty removal scene mm. <laughs> so uh when they were asking him about censorship for it he's like yeah it was it was that scene i had to fight to keep that in the movie yeah he uh argento doesn't use that type of like don't want to talk about it too much but like rapey stuff in his films right. uh similar to like wes craven does in the last house on the left he's it's more show he makes it like it's more of the suggestion just, yes like yes I, dark psychosexual tension mm, to an extent yeah it's more of the suggested oh. rape than it is the actual act you'll see it in stentall syndrome uh, with his own daughter, actually. And his rape revenge is very light compared to other things. Similar to Last House on the left, you know, there's a full circle type thing that s- these people go through so, 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 so much with little payoff at the end for that character itself. They kind of leave the film emotionally scarred and more fucked up than ever. So there's no real conclusion there. Uh, and I think that this is the early, earliest you want to talk about stuff? This is nowhere near as stuff as he'll get censored and stuff. You know, just removing panties with a knife is one thing. Wait, wait until we were able to talk about more of his stuff. But again, talking more about Argento and less about this film. <laughs> so thoughts on the story, boys? Uh, I really enjoyed it. I, I mean, I, I just thought the twists felt like they came fairly naturally. Nothing ever seemed forced or rushed, um, which I guess does stand to reason considering that he was a, he was a writer before this it, w- it wasn't it was the first movie he made and directed himself but he you know of course he'd been writing before and he wrote for Sergio Leone um so I, I I just I really liked it it was very interesting it always 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 kept you guessing but any reveal any of nothing felt forced or rushed or like wait no that doesn't that doesn't make sense like it had nothing like that yeah I, I agree like uh, after viewing this film uh, I, I got that sense of like a Hitchcockian storytelling yeah even even now uh, um, I even got that uh, Hitchcockian sense of uh, storytelling. So, um, yeah, I, 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 um, 
it, it, it has everything you want, especially as a first-time filmmaker. You know, it's, it's a nice, simple layout overall with clever storytelling. Um, yeah, I, and it, it's, it's well, it's a huge hit, and it definitely um, kicked him into stardom after that. So he was he was definitely able to improve from now onwards and yeah, create more great content. So, yeah, I think he delivered, delivered the goods with this one. Yeah, fucking A. I've watched a lot of Argento stuff. I own most of his filmography at this point, and I just think he is just – fantastic and is one of the gods of horror he is the italian god of horror i put him up there with probably my top five directors easily romero wes anderson uh stuff like that i think this guy is just fucking top notch and yeah you can say what you want about his movies he makes quite the mystery you know would you guys uh this is your first viewing of it right yeah yes yes it was What'd you guys think, honestly? Like, you think you, it makes you want to explore more Argento stuff? Yeah, absolutely. It's it'll be good to see where he sort of leads off and slowly build up because we we know about the full extreme uh, content of horror that he can create, mm-hmm. but it's also good to see in between Suspiria and uh, this film. It's good to see him build up that Jello sense. So overall, yeah, I, I really enjoyed this film. Mm-hmm. It kept me it kept me guessing from start to finish. Yeah, and that's what I like about it. Just, it just sort of keeps you intrigued the whole way. Absolutely. Nick? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Um, it's not my first Argento movie I've seen. Okay. Uh, I'm still a bit green on his films, though, overall. What have you uh, seen? Uh, I have seen Suspiria, mm-hmm. and I've seen Opera, but Opera was a very long time ago. Uh, I don't really remember a whole lot of it. I think my uncle uh, showed me that because he's also the one who told me to watch Suspiria because mm. uh, he said that that movie actually probably disturbed him more than most other things he's watched. And that man's a walking encyclopedia. Um, so, yeah, no, it, it was really interesting to go back and kind of see where he started because I've seen where he is six years down the line from now. And it's one of the most visually just striking movies I've ever seen with Suspiria. And so I'm I'm, I'm really wanting to watch the rest of the uh, Animal Trilogy now to just see where he goes with just this these first three uh for sure um and then just kind of getting back into his later stuff as well yeah uh i love this movie i love everything that oh i'll tell you what it's just so fucking cool i i love it how it you see the very humble beginnings of what is gonna come later on especially from from this guy and uh it, it really sparks a a genre in italy and we see so many cool and inter- interesting uh giallo films to follow his lead here, even replicating the fucking title with animals in them that make kind of no sense, but but whatever. <laughs> it's it's cool. It's cool. And then that will kind of morph in the end of the slasher genre later on. So mm-hmm. yeah, I, I think that this film is speaks for itself. And the fact that Brody was still guessing the whole way through and it was made what, fifty years ago. That that's nothing it's more impressive. can be said. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> fucking it. A. So let's rate this bad boy. We're going to rate it out of fedora-wearing killers this week. Brody, let's start it off. Ooh, that's a tough one. Um, you know, I'm going to have to give it a – I'm going to give it a 3.8. Okay. What about you, Nick? I'm going to have to go with a solid four. Um, I'd put it a little bit higher up, but I don't think it's his best. I think it's a very good start, and I've I've seen how much better of a movie he can also make as well. So. I'm going to give it a 4.5, and that is a Lights, Camera, Exploitation score of 4.1 for 1970s. Good score. Yeah. The Burb with the Crystal Plumage. Oh, yeah. I think that's a pretty fair score, especially seeing that. I mean, once we talk about his other films, which, I mean, there's only to go up from here, you know. Uh, Right. 
<laughs> Damn straight. Oh, yeah. So, boys, what do we got next week? It would be a Nick pick, I reckon. Nick pick? Is it a Nick pick? I thought it was a Brody Actually, pick. It might be a Brody pick. <laughs> it's a Brody Sorry pick. Sorry to our listeners. I'm running week on two and a half hours sleep. <laughs> I dare say it would be the one and only Mad Max. Ooh. So. so brace yourselves. Fucking this would be a nice one to go back to. I haven't I, seen this movie in a while. We'll probably be talking about the Kino release on that one. Okay. Yeah. I, I literally just got the 4K, so mm. I'll be able to watch that properly. Yeah, because I mistakenly said that we would be watching Razorback next or uh, Mad Max the last time. <laughs> and I, we and I totally it. expect Brody to take the lead on the notes like I did with this one. Mm. Uh, You're damn right. <laughs> I love seeing how excited we get to do some of these episodes, especially the, these films that we're more passionate about. Anything Italian cinema for me, anything Ozploitation for Brody, and then you with that Green Room film. I watch everything, man. Yeah. <laughs> I want to get all the genres in here. I want to talk about all the movies. Yeah, your picks are pretty wild. I love them. Uh, I think next season we're going to go less horror, thriller, more wild stuff. I know oh. that I've personally been exploring the uh, low budget like war films and stuff. Uh, Strike Commando, mm. uh, Combat Shock, stuff like that. I think those will be films that we'd be we'd have a lot of fun with. And of course, I do want to touch on some other Argento films, but don't want to rush it. I want to do seasons and seasons of this show. So, yeah, I did have some really cool ideas about the website, which I'll talk to you guys uh, post episode uh, that okay. kind of go into play with our podcast and the other shows. So it'll be cool to talk about that. But next week, I'm excited, man. Mad Max, that's going to be a fun one. Yeah, it it's will be a bloody doozy. That's for sure. Well, I think that that is it for this episode episode just a friendly reminder that lights camera exploitation is part of the project louder podcasting network home to many great podcasts such as the big bad beetle bros where you can find nick reese up there talking every week about is it every week we do it every week yeah yes every week about the big bad beetle boards tv show bonehead weekly box office banter comics and kaijus ghoulies unflushed the official unofficial ghoulies podcast gormore featuring myself and the illustrious and sexy birdie kane up there Jerk the Curtain, Joints and Joysticks, Lights, Camera, Exploitation, which you're listening to right now, Rabbit Hole, Ranch on the Black Lodge, Somewhat Supernatural, The TJ Bowser Power Hour, Two Guys on Friday, Wicked Wednesdays, and Exploring the Worst Years of Wrestling, Wrestling Ruined. Find those all on ProjectLouder.net and, of course, on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Audible, and anywhere else you consume audio content. And while you're on the website, go on there, click on the Merch tab, and head on over to the Tee Public and pick up some sweet merch and know that we donate all of the little commish we make there. New shirts coming to the store pretty soon. New podcasts coming to the network very soon. Stay tuned for more and exciting news. This is your host with the motherfucking most, TJ Bowser. Setting off! And this is your DKB signing out saying, catch you mother lickers later. <laughs> Slick Nick saying, see you next week, lovelies. I can hear him saying it now. Go to Italy. It's a peaceful country. Nothing ever happens there.
Hey, what's wrong? I don't know. That painting, it bothers me. What is it? It's a photo of a painting that's somehow mixed up in these murders. Looks a bit perverted to me. Uh-huh. Hmm. Oh, darling. Hey. <laughs> oh, it gives me the shivers. <laughs> 